Today, we're going to meet Jonna Overson, founder of Green Tree Home Care. Jonna tells me that she considers the day a success when they can help a family feel secure that their loved one is safe and comfortable and cared for in the security of their own home. Often, retirees are torn between their own retirement needs and the needs of their parents. Listen to how Jonna can help you rock your retirement in today's episode. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Our guest today is Jonna Overson, and Jonna is the founder of Green Tree Home Care. She discovered her passion for helping seniors stay safely in their homes several years ago. She worked to develop a strong understanding of the home care environment and resources that are available to clients and their families. She takes an educational approach to home care advisement and loves giving clients the tools that they need to create a home care plan that is best for them. So, John, how did you get into that? Were you five years old and thinking when everyone else wanted to be a ballerina, I want to work in the home care environment? I wish I could say that was my story. (laughs) Uh, no, actually, I think I fell into it. I was looking for a part-time job when I had small children uh, in, in school age, just kind of getting into the kindergarten phase. And I thought, well, I need to find something that ignites my passion. And I ended up finding a company that needed a marketing person and ended up being a home care company. Okay. So I knew nothing about it when I first started, but it didn't take me long to realize that the process of helping people make big decisions and uh, make strategies for important parts of their lives was something that I was good at and something that I loved doing. Wow. So how long were you at this home care company? I was at that company for nearly three years, and then I had a vision for home care as I thought it could be. So I set out on my own, and I started Green Tree Home Care about two years ago. Wow. And so was it a franchise, or just you just decided you knew how to do it since you've been doing it for so long, and just started it on your own? Well, I felt like there was opportunity in the home care industry to shake it up a little bit. So there wasn't anything that fit my vision, which included offering a line of service for people who uh, were on a fixed income. That's a problem because here in San Diego, what's the average cost of home care? Like 25 bucks an hour? It ranges anywhere between 23 and 25 Yeah, so it's really expensive. So tell me about how you're a little bit different. Well, we came to the conclusion that uh, we could offer a reduced rate, and we do that through a program called Enduring Care. The way we do that is we, we don't charge for pieces that some family members don't need. We create the agency protections around the client. Um, family members have to be involved in this program. And there needs to be a local person. When that happens, we don't charge for the management piece. We let the families communicate directly with the caregivers, and we let them kind of facilitate the wishes of the clients. 
And in return, it's a reduced rate. So instead of that 23 to $25 an hour, we're looking more at 15 to 18 So for the right client, it can be a really, really big cost savings and the difference between staying home and you know going to an assisted living. So how do you do that when minimum wage is... What is it in Cal- in San Diego now? $10 an hour. So how are you able to do it for that price when don't you have to make a, any kind of a profit or is this a non-profit venture? We like to make a profit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I know that's actually one of the first questions I usually get from people. It's a good one. Very legitimate. The way we the way we offer this program is people um, we don't accept every single person. People who are a good fit for enduring care, have a local representative, as I mentioned earlier. So not someone whose uh, daughter lives in New York. Exactly. That requires more of a hands-on approach with traditional services, which we do offer. The second criteria is that it needs to be somebody who's looking at care for more than six months. Okay. So not respite care. And then the last criteria is that it's somebody who's expecting care eight hours a day or more. Um, so people who have diagnoses of dementia and Parkinson's who are trying to do trust management of assets, I mean, these are the right individuals for enduring care. And then we set the agency protections around the client. So uh, there's some reduced cost for workman's comp. There's reduced costs in management. And then the third thing that makes it a little bit different is that we are looking at a long-term Partnership. So we're not looking, we're not expecting to make a lot of money really quickly. We expect to have a long-term relationship and, you know, it takes much longer to receive that uh, compensation, but it's worth it in the end. So if somebody terminates their agreement early, I'm assuming there's a termination charge? There's not, no. I mean, we, the... The parts that are really labor intensive, we do charge a one-time fee of three fifty in the beginning, just to make sure. But otherwise, we understand life happens, and we don't want to penalize people for it not being the right fit. Okay, but that's not the majority of your business, no, because otherwise, you probably couldn't stay in business. <laughs> <laughs> well, home care is so personalized that um, you know most people need something very dynamic, and that's. The traditional model is is just a little bit more pivotal. Okay. So what's the difference of going to Craigslist and calling your agency? Mm, That's a great question. Um, Agencies in San Diego County are all licensed now, or at least they should be if they're in operation. Um, There's a lot of protections that, consumer protections wrapped up in that program, including training for caregivers, you know, protections of insurance and liability, communication. There's just a lot that goes into being a licensed company. What I have found is that professionals on Craigslist, they're thinking that a a good rate for home care is anywhere between $12 and $18 an hour. But they're not necessarily offering all the benefits that a company does. They're not offering the insurances. They haven't necessarily offered a background check to clients. So there's a lot more risk on the client side. Um, than if you go through a company. I watched a video yesterday that a financial planner sent me and it was of some hotshot in San Diego, the district attorney or somebody who did a presentation. And of course, the first one that I watched was be careful about home care. And he said that people on Craigslist, a lot of them are actually felons. Yeah. I mean, you can run across that. I've met some really amazing care professionals who advertise on Craigslist, but I can give you an example. 
I had a family call me not long ago. They'd been hiring privately, and they'd been 1099-ing all the caregivers. One of the caregivers who'd been with them for about six, eight months, she just suddenly start, started not working out as well. And so the family, they tried, to, they tried to work it out, but eventually they had to let her go. When they let her go, she filed for unemployment. And then she also filed with the, the EDD. And it turned out that the IRS came back to the family and said, oh, guess what? You owe us money. Yep. And it ended up unemployment, back taxes, and it opened up a can of worms that completely decimated the trust. And his only option was a nursing home at that point. That's so sad because a lot of families don't realize that when they have a home caregiver, that they actually are responsible for these taxes. The law changed in California several years ago, and that's why that's one of the reasons why the average cost is so high because you have to give, you know, if you have a 24 hour caregiver, you have to give them time and a half. Yeah. And all kinds of things that you didn't have to do before. Oh, exactly. I mean, just because somebody is on a looser agreement doesn't mean that the client and the family is not responsible for all the employment law because they are. So it's really, really important that people arm themselves. And that's why we have enduring care because we, we support that. But we, we like to try to limit the liability. I mean, the whole point of having a home care company is to protect people and keep them safely in their homes. Right, exactly. And if you can't protect their finances... You know, and I come from an insurance background, so I'm always looking at the downside. Although I hope I have a positive attitude. <laughs> I, always, I always plan for the worst, but expect the best. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So you also have some programs that help people who, you know, maybe have a little bit more money, but don't really qualify for your enduring care. Um, what other kinds of programs do you have? Anytime we meet a new client, we always want to look at the landscape around them. What types of supports do they have in place and what do they have access to? Some of the things that we're looking for are long-term care insurance policies. Those are paid for policies that are usually generated around the same time that people get their life insurance policies, something you would pay a monthly premium for. Sometimes they get buried in a stack of papers and people don't realize that they're there. So I always encourage family members to have that dialogue because we have found those policies that just kind of got put on the back burner and people didn't realize they were there. Do you encourage the family members to go out and buy a long-term care policy <laughs> while they can still afford it? Um, it's definitely something to consider as part of, part of your financial plan. I, um, I have seen many clients that didn't have any resources except for that one, and it was the difference between having support and not. They're so expensive. You know, this is not a show about money, but I have to say that I got a policy when I was 40 years old mm. and I, I turned 50 this year and I did a search for the same type of policy. And it was really expensive and they don't offer the policy in California that I had anymore. So, you know, we're not talking about money, but <laughs> you brought it up. I know I did. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is a part of our planning when it comes to, to care. Home care is expensive. Even if you were to hire privately, it still is a cost that a lot of people don't realize they may incur at some point. So we talked about long-term care insurance. Um, another thing that, that I always ask my potential clients and current clients about is uh, veterans benefits. A person needed to be in service, active duty during a time of conflict, and there are specific dates that they have to qualify for. And if they were in 
during one of those applicable dates, then they might qualify for veterans aid and attendance for it, it pays anywhere between 1100 and 2100 something. Those are loose numbers, but it, it does pay a pretty significant amount of, uh, of untaxed reimbursement back to the family. It can be a little bit daunting, a little bit tricky to get the process started, but once you do it, it takes care of itself and it's a really, really great program. Does the spouse qualify too or just the person that was in the war? Spouses qualify. There are some caveats. So if somebody's interested, I would be happy to go into that a little bit deeper. But yeah, most of the time, if they were still married before the passing, then yeah, it, it they would qualify. Okay. Or what if the veteran is still alive and the spouse needs help? Oh, yeah. There's a couple. It's $2,100. And I'm not an expert. That's not what I do. You refer that out. I do. I bring in specialists that really understand that program. It can be a little bit hinky trying to navigate the VA, and I never, ever want to mess that up for someone. <laughs> I can understand why. <laughs> Any government program is difficult. Yeah, and I'm really good at home care, but I like to hand off what needs to be handed off. That's perfect. <laughs> so what other programs do you work with? Do you have just people who pay 24-hour care or... Do most of your clients do eight or 10 hours a day? What's your typical client? There isn't one. I guess you could say that there are kind of levels when you're considering categories that people fall into. If one of your listeners has an aging parent who maybe doesn't drive anymore or isn't able to get shopping done the way they used to and the, the adult children are a little concerned about nutrition um, or companionship, then oftentimes clients like that will have a care professional come in once or twice a week for a half day, around four hours, and they'll do specific tasks. So they'll do some light housekeeping, they'll um, change linens, they might offer a bath or, or something as simple as going to the beach. I mean, it can be varied depending on what each individual's needs are. And I've had clients that really just wanted to sit and chat and they just wanted that moment to connect with somebody so we would uh, match them with a care professional who was closer in age okay. and experience. Then there are people who have a diagnosis, uh, maybe of dementia, Alzheimer's, or Parkinson's. These people often need a little bit more care. They might need reminders to do certain tasks. They're going to need three meals a day instead of shopping once in a while. Except for my dad. <laughs> My dad has Parkinson's and the medication he takes makes him eat constantly. Okay. He doesn't need to be reminded to eat. <laughs> well, I guess that's a good problem to have. Well, it's funny because some of the um, medications that you take for Parkinson's, especially in the beginning, they make whatever your vice was, you want to do more of it. Oh, goodness. So when he first was diagnosed, he gambled a lot. Oh, no. And uh, my stepmother... Uh, made them stop going on cruises when he lost $10,000 on it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but he was a little indignant because he, you know, he has money in the stock market and he said, I made more than $10,000 on that trip. So she shouldn't be complaining. Well, they didn't go on a cruise for several years after that. Wow. Because because she was afraid that he was going to go and gamble all their money away. But I don't think he does that anymore now. I think he strict is a eating. Okay. <laughs> That's his vice now. <laughs> it's my vice too, Kathy. <laughs> Mine too. I don't have the Parkinson's as an excuse though. Nope. <laughs> 
So you help remind them to eat, you right. spend more time with them when they have a diagnosis. Right. And then we're also trying to, we're trying to do specific activities for that diagnosis. So if somebody has dementia and we know that, you know, maybe they're, they're having a little trouble remembering faces or names, that we might try to do exercises for that or might try to take them to certain places that will jog memories. Really? And yeah. Yeah. We try to do specific activities to, to improve or to to sustain their memory. You know, one of the beefs that I have with home care companies, mm. we haven't talked about this, uh -oh. but my father-in-law had a home care provider and he was in Texas and Les, my husband's name is Les and he and I went to visit and his stepmom had to go out for a couple hours and we said, well, we'll stay here and when he wakes up, we'll, you know, we'll talk with him. And she said, okay, and the home care provider is going to be here. And so we sat around until... Now, this was before I understood about Alzheimer's, okay? Mm -hmm. I did not know that Alzheimer's patients need more sleep. I said to the home care provider, it's time to get him up. She said, okay, and she got him up. And then I was sitting there trying to have a conversation with him because he was a shut-in mm -hmm. because there were stairs that he could not navigate. And so he became trapped in his own home. Aww. And so his only socialization was really his wife and then maybe some people that his wife would have over and then us and this caregiver. Right. Well, I tried to engage in conversation with my father-in-law, you know, just talking, and the caregiver kept talking to me. Well, wait a minute. You're being paid to talk, to provide companionship, and here you are. I bet all you do is watch TV all day. So I'm really glad to hear that your caregivers have programs to help them with their ailments one of the things that I really like are when you have a caregiver for a couple of hours and then you take them to a, an adult daycare facility where they get a program and they get socialization. So I'm glad that your caregivers did that. I didn't know that there were caregivers that did that. I thought they were all like my father-in-law's, <laughs> you know, where they just sat there and watched TV or whatever they did. No, no. <laughs> I mean, we hire people who are really passionate about what they do oh. and they would be bored to tears if they were just staring at somebody across a table. <laughs> and that sounds Or awful. watching television. Or watching TV all, all day. And, you know, I mean, we're constantly checking in with them also to make sure that they're doing those things. Okay. So if we see that somebody maybe doesn't have the tools to engage, then maybe Alzheimer's or dementia patients are not the right fit, number one. Or number two, maybe they just need some skills and some training and some resources to create more dialogue. And it can be hard. You know, sometimes we have expectations about where somebody is with with Alzheimer's. We want them to be in a different place than they are. And they're not. And they're not. Yeah. So sometimes we have to be really sensitive, but realistic about someone's abilities. But we always want to respect an individual. Caregivers are all of us in the, in the company, in the community should give eye contact and dialogue and touch as appropriate. And, you know, just really not try to marginalize right. our dementia. It's funny how people will talk about somebody right in front of them. And I've noticed that with people and I try not to do it myself. I try to, right. you know, and you're, oh, so-and-so has got this and that and they're sitting right there. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I was in an instance not that long ago with, uh, with a home health company, people, medical professionals that provide care. And I was with the caregiver and I'm the, the client manager. So I was doing some of the management piece of it right then. And then the nurse walked up and all three of us started talking and I, in a second, I realized that, no, 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 this is not right. I said, oh, 
let's take this conversation in with Mr. Say Jones. Let's take this in with Mr. Jones. And then it was amazing to see the difference in his face. I mean, you could tell that he wanted to know what was going on. Right. And we wanted to have a quick conversation, but that's not what it's about. It's about making him feel included. Right. Took longer, but it's worth it. That's amazing. I just, that's one of the <laughs> things that I really love about you, Jonna. Thank you, Kathy. Is the fact that you really do care and that you think about these things. Because it's not that people are being mean. It's just that, and, and that was another thing about my stepmother. She allowed my father to use a lathe until it became dangerous. Okay. And you know what a lathe, for, for my mm-hmm. listeners, that is a tool that you use with wood that is sharp. And it's funny because watching my stepmother with my father, I have learned so much from her. I would have stopped if if my husband had been diagnosed with Parkinson's in his 50s and he was with me for 20 years, he probably would be dead by now because I would be, okay, you're not doing that. You're you're not going to use a lathe. You're walking too slow. We're going to put you in a wheelchair. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able... I would be like the worst caregiver <laughs> ever because I would be telling them what they couldn't do instead of saying what they can do. Right. And so I'm glad that you hire <laughs> people who are not like me. You know, it's a mindset because I definitely, I know that when I first started this, I had very, like you, very black and white ideas of how things should be. Mm -hmm. As I've matured in this industry, I will have the conversation with family members. Like we need to stop this and we need to limit that. And what I tell them is that this is a journey of balance. It's about balancing somebody's right to a freedom of expression and independence with safety. And sometimes safety takes precedence. Sometimes independence takes precedence. But it is a balancing act, and it doesn't stay stagnant. It's it's constantly shifting as you continue to journey. And I think once you kind of embrace that thinking and looking at each situation as you know risk assessment, then you're thinking more about balancing that life experience. Right. I hope that came across. It did. Yeah. And that's what my stepmother did. You know, once it was time to stop using the sharp objects, he stopped. And I think, I think it might've been his decision. You know, she Mm -hmm. was, like I said, I've learned so much from watching what she has done. Right. And and that's amazing that you learned from that experience. I know I, I did a, a client assessment not long ago and, um, I was having a meeting with the family. We're just kind of talking about the care landscape and where the where the client was at in that moment. And the daughter said to me, "Well, you know, she's got some some dementia." And I said, oh, "Okay, yeah, I understand." And then she said, "And she has macular degeneration, so she doesn't see well." So continuing on my assessment, I said, well, so she doesn't drive. And the daughter said, oh, no, no, she drives. Okay. (laughs) Maybe it's time to take the keys away. So we talked a lot about that risk assessment (laughs) in that moment. (laughs) So there's definitely some firmer lines. But but yeah, so we have those conversations and help people kind of see outside of the place that they're in and, and have a big picture view in those conversations. That's good. You know, it's so hard to take the keys away from somebody. It is. I mean, my dad was driving when he... So I have this condition called dystonia. Some people, you know, we were talking about it before the interview and it it um, came on recently. It 
and what it does is it makes me shut one of my eyes. And when I got it, I immediately thought I had Parkinson's disease because my dad shuts both of his eyes. And in order for him to open them, he either has to use his fingers Mm. or when he has Botox, he can keep his eyes open. And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my, my eyes shutting. I have Parkinson's. So I went in and had an MRI and thank God it's, it's something called dystonia, which hopefully will go away, but it might not. And, um, he was still driving when he was shutting his eyes. Oh goodness. And I said, dad, you, you can't drive when you're, how can you, you're driving and your eyes are shut. (laughs) It's like that dream you have. (laughs) Right. And I thought, you know, uh, you need to stop driving. And so finally he stopped driving. So I'm so happy, but it's so difficult because his neurologist, he'd go in and the neurologist would say he was fine to drive. Right. Yes. (laughs) Oh, no, he's not fine to drive if his eyes are shut. That is a frustration (laughs) that I think should be addressed. So I'm glad you brought that up. I can't tell you how many times I've had adult children who are are trying to manage this care landscape come and say, well, you know, we just, we can't, we can't have the, the doctor won't say that they can't do certain things anymore. You know, we go in and, and mom or dad looks really fine in that moment. And then we try to go home, they say, where are we? You know, so there's a disconnect between what the doctor sees for 15 minutes and what's actually happening on a regular basis. And I think, um, being persistent is the key. Well, you know what my husband did Mm. because we know that sometimes I look fine and sometimes my face is spasming. Mm -hmm. And so what my husband did, because we knew that we were going to have problems with the neurologist. And so my husband uh, turned the camera, the webcam on me for three days, uh, just attached it to my computer and videotaped me for 10 hours a day while I was working. Wow. And so then he, um, went through the video and removed all the sections where I was looking normal and left all the sections in when my face was, was spasming mm-hmm. or when I was shutting my eyes or squinting or grimacing or whatever it was I was doing. When we went to the neurologist, she did the thing and she said, I'm not going to order an MRI for you because you're, you're normal. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, it's not. Nor-. And I was being normal right in front of her. Right. You know, something about like when you take your car in and they can't figure it out because your car doesn't do it. <laughs> your adrenaline is going, right. you feel good. And yeah. When you go to the doctor, whatever it is that's wrong with you doesn't right, manifest. Exactly. So I said to my husband, do you, did, do you have the video? And he said, yes, he had downloaded it onto his phone. And so he showed her the video and she looked at it and she said, Oh, (laughs) I see what you mean. And she ordered the MRI. Wow. So maybe your patients should videotape their parents and take that in to the neurologist or whoever their doctor is and show them. Well, you just taught me something. (laughs) That's a great idea. Yeah. Being able to document what it is that you're trying to convey way better, especially if your parents aren't um, acknowledging that something's going on. That can be a real challenge. Get one of those spy cams and put it on your- A uh, nanny cam. (laughs) Bear under your arm. Or one of those glasses. The Google glass. Yeah. The glasses (laughs) that record your parents, you know, you do that and they don't know that you're, you say, those glasses are weird. Oh yeah. My doctor prescribed (laughs) these glasses for me and just- follow them around. Very cloak and dagger. 
Well, hopefully it doesn't have to come to that. I mean, <laughs> but you know, I mean, you're in the industry. I'm, I'm just making fun because right, of course, of my own condition. And one of the reasons I got into this podcast was to help myself learn how to help my dad. And, right. Education. It's all right. about education. And my husband's so much older than me. I need to learn these things too. <laughs> well, sometimes I think coping with aging is about um, laughing. I, I had this client tell me once about her mother when they moved her into a memory care. She walked in the first day she got there and she looked over and on the piano was a very handsome older gentleman. And he was just going at it with those piano keys. Very talented. So she marched herself straight up to her room. She opened up her bags, started unpacking stuff, put on her swimsuit, <laughs> walked back down to the lobby. In her swimsuit. In her swimsuit <laughs> and started doing handstands. No. <laughs> yeah. In front of the guy in playing front the of piano. everybody. <laughs> and she's telling me this and I'm, you know, feeling kind of uncomfortable and embarrassed. No, it's fun. And, you know, at the end of the story, they ended up together. They <laughs> they connected over it. And you know, hey, it's she, beauty. She knew how to get her man. She know, So now I know <laughs> if I should ever see a cute piano player, what works. Yeah, go put on your swimsuit. <laughs> but, you know, it's laughing. It's being able It's being able to find the humor in things that aren't always humorous and being able to help other people navigate really tense scenarios with grace and dignity as much as you can. Right. Well, thank you so much. Well, we're coming to the end of our interview, and there's always a couple of questions that I like to ask. Sure. So what do you think people should know about before they actually retire? It doesn't have anything to do. It doesn't have to do anything with home health care, but you know a lot of retirees. So what do you think people should know before they retire? I think uh, smart planning and dialogue early is super critical. I can't tell you, I have a client right now actually who's in his 90s and the people that he thought were going to be around to manage his care as he aged are no longer around. Oh. And we're realizing that uh, his health is starting to decline and he doesn't really have a plan for who to call and what to do. And it was getting to the place where if there was an emergency, it might be me that gets the call. It might be his attorney that gets the call. But we're not really... We're not really the people that should be making those really big decisions alongside him or on his behalf. So making sure that you're having those discussions with appropriate family members and what happens if those family members aren't available and really thinking about what that looks like. Because I have seen those plans not fully formed and uh, somebody's kind of thrown into a place to make those decisions and they're not necessarily doing what that person would have preferred. So... If somebody doesn't have family, would it, and this is a real question, is is that something a fiduciary would handle or do they just handle money matters? No, they can handle, uh, they would call it medical decisions. But yeah, they can do both conservatorship of the person or not conservatorship. They can have fiduciary responsibility of both the individual and the finances. So that's that's not uncommon. What I really like to do is get a geriatric care manager involved they're usually medical professionals, at least the ones that I like to work with are. Uh, RNs, NPs, and sometimes physicians will do it as well. And these people, they charge between $150, maybe, maybe $200 an hour. But their role is to come in once in a while, once a month, or 
if there's an emergency situation and they step in and they act as the coordinator and the liaison for medical things that arise. That's good. Yeah. And they're really, you know, they can be a power of attorney. They can have somebody's um, plan in the back of their, I mean, they can be the person who's designed to execute that. And I think it's really, really valuable to have that experience and to have that sort of removed but very knowledgeable third party involved. Great advice. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Great advice. We also have a lot of listeners that are either new retirees or they're feeling stuck somehow in their lives. And if you were sitting across the table having coffee with one of these people who feel stuck or they're a new retiree, what's the one piece of advice that you would give them? Oh, gosh, I think it's the same thing I would tell anybody who feels a little stuck or bored would be to find something that really interests you and get involved. I mean, as you get into retirement, there's so many opportunities to help your community, to help the other people who maybe don't have the privilege of, of choice and retirement for that matter. You know, there's, a, there's community centers, there's the senior centers. Um, there's just so many different programs out there to get involved with. A lot of seniors that I run across, they, they don't have access to food. They don't have access to transportation. And there's a whole network of retirees that have the time and the ability to give back to their seniors. Oh, isn't there also a program where seniors can volunteer to give respite care? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I don't know the specific programs yeah, right offhand. But but there's lots of volunteer there's work. There's so much opportunity so out there much. and so much need. I think part of the problem is a lot of seniors don't know how to use the internet. And if you learn how to use the internet, then you can find all these really cool programs <laughs> to be involved in. There's one, um, I think, near you where it's with horses and mm -hmm. children. I forget the name of it, but I know there's a program where I don't know if they're... Horse therapy, right? Yeah, it's horse mm -hmm. therapy. Yeah, oh, there's several across the county. <laughs> so there's all kinds of really fun things that people can oh my gosh, volunteer yes. for. Or even at the animal shelter if you yeah. like animals. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, well, thank you so much, Jonna, for spending this time with me. And would you like to give out your contact information in case oh, yeah. somebody wants to contact you about your services? Well, thank you, Kathy. I appreciate that. It's Green Tree Home Care. My name is Jonna Overson, and I am the founder and usually the first point of contact. You can call me at 858-231-7676. We do traditional agency service. And then we also have the Enduring Care Program. So if you have questions about that, please feel free to call. And how do you spell your first name? Jonna. It's like Donna with a J. <laughs> J-O-N-N-A. Perfect. And do you have a website as well? Yes, they can check out our website. It's um, www.greentree, and then the letters hc.com. Great. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. So if anybody likes to read the show notes, then I'll put a link to our website. Jonna, thanks again. We appreciate it. And for those of you who are listening to the show, don't forget to subscribe. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. And we're also on Podcast Addict. So if you subscribe to the show, then you will automatically get updates in your phone when a new um, episode comes on board. So thanks so much for listening to Rock Your Retirement. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com.
Has your doctor told you to exercise more, but then you wondered how much more and which exercises would be best to get the results you want? I'm fitness trainer Christine Burke. I'd like to help answer your questions so you can start exercising and get some great results sooner. Right now, Rock Your Retirement podcast listeners can get free tips and a special offer by going to my website at lightheartedfitness.com slash R-O-C-K rock. That's lightheartedfitness.com slash rock for the Rock Your Retirement special offer. Oh, wait. I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode one and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August, actually August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show and when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to, 
normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is, or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best, and of course, we're shooting for those five-star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.